sitting in church just like this in Seymour, hit a place in my life I call divine dissatisfaction where, you know, I was serving God, faithful, helping on the worship team. Sandra did children's ministry and I helped her on Sunday mornings. We weren't in a Sunday morning service for three years because we were in the back with the kids. But that was all preparation, felt this divine satisfaction, gave or sold everything we had, gave it away, went to Bible school for three years began to meet people that were changing the nations, and I felt like, you know, here in the U.S., we'd be one more voice among many. You don't have to drive very far to find a church here. We work in places where there are no churches, 18,000 people in a town with no Christian witness of any kind. And so uh, we moved to the other side of the world, Asia, spent 19 years growing uh, two of the largest ministry teams go to nations has anywhere in the world and uh, then came back to be the vice president over just the ministries division, and then just in the process of, of moving into the executive VP role where uh, I'm also over member care uh, because you got to take care of these guys and equipping. We have an equipping tra- track for missionaries. You're giving your life away, so somebody better tell you how to do that. And you're doing it in another culture on the other side of the world, and so we've got an equipping track that's a, about a three-year process that takes you from you know, boot camp to OJT on the job training and launches you into ministry. And our average missionary has been with us 10 years, and about 20% of our missionaries have been with us 20 years or longer. That's unheard of. In charismatic or full gospel circles, it's unheard of. We just did our 40-year anniversary last fall. This is our 41st year of ministry. And so they asked me to pull together numbers for what we've done in 40 years. That's a little bit tricky. I had to wrap my brain around how to do that. But the bottom line is we have, uh, we've touched uh, about 6 million lives in 40 years. So that's a, that's a life every three minutes for 40 years. So already, you know, I've been up here about three minutes already. So we've already impacted one life. Uh, we do a lot of equipping and training. Our, our uh, core values are lordship, that he owns it all and we only steward it no matter what it is, including ministry that we empower others. You know, Jesus said, make disciples. He didn't say, go do this and that. He said, reproduce yourself so that it goes from generation to generation. When we don't do that, it dies. When we just do ministry, ministry dies. Ministers don't die if you keep passing it. You all have children, and those children will have children. That's how it works. If you're a spiritual family, you reproduce. That is what you do. You don't have to teach married people how to have children. But yet we make ministry and it's hard and it produces, but then it dies when the producer dies. If it reproduces, it doesn't die. So our philosophy of ministry is incredibly different. Uh, Our philosophy of ministry is really ministers. So we raise up a lot of ministers around the world and they're the ones growing the ministry. And so we've trained somebody every eight hours for the last 40 years in ministry. (laughs) That's pretty cool, huh? Uh, 24, well, I guess 36,000 ministers we've trained so far around the world Uh, 1.8 million salvations, so every 12 minutes. So in the next couple minutes here, every 12 minutes for 40 years. And so that's that's my day job. That's my day job. Preaching on the weekends is what I do for fun. Uh, So and if you want if you want to invest in that, your church partners. But I believe I've taught it here before that every one of us has an inheritance in the nations, and either you go get it or you send someone in your place. That's how it works. And so uh, I'm a goer, and so if you would like to be a sender, uh, talk to me, because we all need partnership. The gospel's free, but it takes money to spread it. And so um, it's good to sow in these kinds of things. 
So, I'm glad to be with you guys. Thank you for your partnership. We bless Pastor Tracy and Darlene this morning. We just continue to speak health and healing. We played uh, Waymaker for a year. All of 2020 played that over and over. Because even if we don't see it, he's working. I'm telling you, we're going to talk about seasons this morning in a rather unique way. um, Because we're in a season change right now. And uh, God's doing stuff we don't see. And the, the challenge of seasons is God is moving. The season has changed in the spirit. But if you're not tuned into that, you're not going to see it with these eyes. There's hardly a thing you can read that will tell you that. There's hardly a thing you can hear as far as anything you're listening to on TV or radio or the newspaper that will tell you that. But you've got to know that you know that you know. And there has been a change coming out of summer through the fall into the winter. My spirit man is getting lighter and there's an encouragement in me. There's an excitement in me. I'm recognizing all that we're seeing uh, with our eyes looks just exactly the opposite of that in this hour. But by spending time separated and with the Lord and tuning in to the right prophetic voices in this hour, we just came out of 2021, and that was the year of the prophetic voice uh, from, I think it's Chronicles. If you listen to the prophetic voice, then you'll do well. That was great jumping Jehoshaphat. We're coming into 2022 now, Isaiah 22. 22 is the year of keys. And uh, he will put the keys of David on the shoulders. The shoulders are government of Jesus, and he'll open doors that no man can close. 22 is the number of letters in the Hebrew alphabet. And so uh, it's a year of completion. God's going to wrap some things up this year. So I want you to be encouraged, but you've got to be hearing and seeing these things in your spirit, man. And, uh, and you're not going to see them by spending too much time listening to what anybody else has to say. You've got to hear from God in this hour. So we're going to just look at some things and encourage you today. We often live in the family room. With God, you've got different rooms that you're in in the kingdom. You can hang out in the family room. There's an oikos, a fellowship of God, uh, where we just hang out in the family room. Some people never get beyond that. But if I leave... My grandson's alone in my living room, my family room, they'll tear some stuff up. And that's kind of what happens if we don't grow out of just hanging out in the living room. There is also a courtroom of God. Your Bible's a legal book. And God is not only your father, he is judge. And so in the courtroom of God, there are legal things that take place. In the family room of God, we kind of know the works of God. We sang some about salvation and works of God. But in the courtroom of God, you've got to know the word of God and the will of God. Because all this stuff doesn't just happen because God loves us. It happens because he legally said so and we take that and we do something with it in the courtrooms of heaven and we stand with what God's given us on the earth. So you can tell this morning, well I was glad when Tracy wrote me a couple days ago because this is just kind of where I live right now. We don't have to make this stuff up. I didn't have to put together a message for this morning because I'm kind of living a message right now and that's how it ought to be. So you can hang out in the family room of God as the kind of the oikos, the fellowship, the family of God, or you can kind of turn your eyes, they're all in the same place in heaven, and you don't have to leave one room coming to another, you just got to kind of fix your focus a little bit. There is a courtroom of God where we can begin to legislate, that's what church means in the New Testament, it is the legislative assembly of God. Jesus said, I will build my church, that's a legislative assembly, a governing assembly. You want to change this community? Well, then change it. And that begins in the spirit. That's what happens in the 
in the courtroom of God, there you've got to know the law, what legally you can go after. One of the few things that Jesus told us to pray in the New Testament, Matthew chapter 6, verse 8 and 9, he said, pray this prayer or pray like this, that your kingdom would come to earth as it is in heaven. Would Jesus tell us to pray a prayer that he wasn't uh, intent on answering at some point? I don't think so. He wouldn't tell us to pray a thing that he wasn't going to do at some point. So the, ch- the season is changing, and that's where we're going. And this happens in the throne room of God. I've been just sitting with the Lord a lot in this season. And I'm seeing him seated on the throne. Sometimes I see him stand up on the throne. Sometimes I see him rattling his scepter just a little bit. God is so actively involved in what's going on in the spirit realm in the earth right now. And we're going to see that manifest at some point. The timing is his and not ours. That's the hard part. Ecclesiastes 8 says there's a proper time for everything under heaven, but a man's misery weighs heavy on him. It's the timing that causes us misery because we want to see things happen. But the season is changing. There are a lot of things happening out of the throne room of God. And here's the tricky part. We can just be a child of God. You don't have to read your Bible or pray ever. You can just be a child of God, hang out in the living room, and you're going to be fine. You want to see some stuff happen, you're going to have to grow up. That's sonship. Big difference between being a child of God, a son of God. We've talked about that before. I won't go there this morning. But sonship is about the father's business. You've got to know how that business works. So you've got to get into the details of the book and know how that works. Now, if you're going to approach God as king, there are protocols. You leave here as president of the United States, you're going to meet the king or a queen of any country. There are protocols you got to know the ways of God, and you're not going to read that all in the book. That comes from hanging out with Him. That comes from spending time. That comes from laying your life down and picking His life up. And so God is moving us towards kingdom. A king rules over His kingdom. He says in Revelation that we are called to be a kingdom of kings and priests. And that's what He wants to move us towards. But we've got to know some stuff that we don't typically know. And it takes knowing the heart of God More than just the will of God. There's a big difference between being right and doing right. And knowing His ways. He says He will guide us with His eyes. And the season that's coming is more scepter than sword. We fought in the trenches a lot in this last season. If you understand spiritual warfare at all, we've fought a lot with our sword. But the Lord is calling us to sit seated with Him. Throw that next verse up. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 6 says, We're already seated with Him. Don't we spend most of our time feeling like we're praying from earth to heaven? That's your priestly role, where you go to God on behalf of the people. Your kingly role, you're already seated with Him in the heavenly places. And you begin to take authority over your domain. You begin to extend your scepter. There are many times in this last year that when I began to pray, I realized I wasn't supposed to enter the fight and draw my sword. I was supposed to extend my scepter and say, this is the will of God. This is what God has already said and decided. And this is going to be governed. That's what it means when we pray His kingdom come. His kingdom come means that His government comes and gets superimposed over whatever it is that we're dealing with right now. The Lord said to me some years ago, Craig, you can change your season. How? By coming into agreement and alignment with where heaven wants to go, with the timing of heaven. So we have to see where heaven is wanting to go in this hour. 
And heaven is wanting kingdom to come to earth as never before. So I want to just talk about that in the context of the season that we're just finishing, the Christmas season. We're just coming out of here. If you're Catholic, I spent 19 years in the Philippines, and so I'm pretty familiar with how some aspects of Catholicism work, and they celebrate Christmas until sometime in January, even February. Part of that is they celebrate Feast of Kings, where the wise men showed up, you know, sometime after Jesus was born, and that didn't happen the moment he was born. It happened just a little while later. And so um, they celebrate uh, Feast of Kings until sometime in January, so it's still Christmas in the Philippines, and so I'm going to still lean into Christmas just a little bit here. I still have my tree up probably until tomorrow my grandboys come and we'll take that thing down. So now because of where Christmas falls at the end of our calendar, Roman calendar, it kind of becomes a wrap-up for us. Christmas kind of becomes the end of the year for us and even though we're celebrating a new birth, it kind of still feels like closure. The ending of a year, we spend some time, you know, kind of remunerating or thinking about the year. It's kind of a wrap-up. And I was considering this, as I was thinking about this a few weeks ago, I saw I had a kind of a picture in my mind of this huge ocean liner, this huge ship coming into port at the end of a long, challenging year. And for us, that's kind of what Christmas feels like, especially this last year. We've been in rough seas, you know, in turmoil for a year, and we're kind of pulling it into the dock, thank God. And so we get about two days of rest, or three, uh, in between wrapping and Christmas and family celebrations, all of that, we get a few days to recoup. I think this is for about three or four days. I haven't heard from my president or the executive director. Other than that, there's probably something going on in the world about every moment of every day. And I've gotten a couple days here where nobody's asking me for something. I kind of wondered what happened because I haven't heard from them for a couple days. And so we get this little celebration, this momentary escape from the journey, and then, man, tomorrow we're right back on to the next, aren't we? And that's kind of how Christmas works for most of us. But as I was thinking about this, I thought, what if we saw it this way instead? What if we saw in this season a ship that was docked and stocked, being stocked to be launched out, fully fueled and fully filled for a launching into the next season? On the Jewish calendar, actually their new year started in September. Rosh Hashanah is their new year, so they're about three months into the new year. And so there's kind of a three-month buildup, and then this, which is kind of then a launching. So they got about three months to get rolling, and then they hit December. And so that makes it a little bit different, and I want us to kind of have that feeling. So then the new year takes on a different feeling. So consider we're a few months into the season now, into a new year, and we're now in this launching, a new season, because we are. So I expect that most of you watched a Hallmark movie. Did you watch a Hallmark Christmas movie? If you watched just one, it was good, because the characters changed, the city changed, the circumstance changed, but the story's basically the same, right? Doesn't matter how many you watch, the names have been changed to protect the innocent, but all the rest, uh, all the rest stays. So if you watch just one movie or several, and, you know, I'm a single guy at home, so I've watched a few of them this year. Here's what I found. Christmas is about love, or family, or forgiveness, or second chances. 
and ending with the possibility of new beginnings. So I think that kind of, if I missed a fifth one, let me know, but I think that kind of wraps up the, the focus of every Hallmark movie. So, for many of us, Hallmark becomes our Christmas Bible, our Christmas theology. We believe it because Hallmark said so. But I want to give you a scripture here. I want us to start with a Christmas verse that you may not even know is in your Bible. Throw that up there. 1 John chapter 3, 8. Why did Jesus come to earth? 1 John 3, 8. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifest that he might destroy the works of the evil one. Why did baby Jesus come to earth? That completely changes Christmas. Why did Jesus come to earth? To destroy the works of the evil one. We must, must, must understand that Jesus did not come to earth to give you a life preserver, throw you a rope, or rescue you only. He did. Yes, He did those things, and He does, and He will. He did not just come to give you a way to heaven. The hell escape is only the entry point. And we must have that. Thank God. It has to begin there. But when He closes the door to hell, He opens the door to heaven. The windows to heaven. Not just us going to heaven. That is not the goal. Or we'd be there already. And hell doesn't care or we'd stop killing babies. We killed more babies last year than died of AIDS and cancer and something else all combined. So the devil's really not too concerned about just keeping souls out of heaven because we put 40 million of them in heaven last year just through abortion. What he cares about is the kingdom of God that you begin to demonstrate out of a loving heart what serving a father in heaven looks like on the earth. So Christ and the cross and Christmas doesn't just open a way for you to heaven. It opens a way for heaven to you. It's a portal that flows both ways. Not so just we're going there, but so that it is now coming here. And you become where heaven touches earth. You become, I've seen it for years, you are the lightning rod of God in the earth. If God's going to do a thing, He's going to do it through you or me or somebody else. And if you don't like what you see, change it! Get on your knees, get on your face, stop eating. Whatever it takes, you're tired of what you see in your family or your body or your government. Man. God came to establish you as a citizen of His kingdom and that comes with both sword and scepter. The season has changed. Christmas, Christ in person is what changes it. Because while He does save and heal and rescue and deliver, amen, He also enables and equips and empowers us. Jesus' very first sermon, Luke chapter 4, verse 18 and 19, first words out of His mouth on a Sunday morning, His first message, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor sent me to heal the brokenhearted, preach deliverance to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. Let me tell you, the season has changed, and we are stepping into the acceptable year of the Lord. Believe it or don't, 
Flow with it or miss it. It's coming. God's just saying, who's going with me? That's what's happening right now. It's coming. It's here already in a lot of ways. This is tune up. Line up. Listen up. Lean in. Stay in. Hang in right now. Because it's changing. It's changing. Changing. Now, I want to focus in on some words. You see that very last line right at the bottom. I've underlined acceptable. 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 We're going to hit that in several different ways in the next few minutes here. The acceptable. Acceptable. Year of the Lord. Acceptable means approved by God. So we're stepping into a year approved by God. Now, as I said, I spent 19 years in a Catholic nation. So Mary, the mother of Jesus, was a big deal. And she is. Faith, trust, submission by a virgin teenager. Absolutely unfathomable in many ways. And so we make a big deal out of her. And we should in some ways. But I want to make some connects. I'm, I'm bringing in some different pieces. I'm going to make some connections this morning that will help us moving forward. What does Scripture say about Mary? Luke chapter 1 and verse 28. And the angel came to her and said, Hail Mary, hail, thou art highly favored. The Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. So God blesses her. All right? Now the word highly favored, that word favored there, is a Greek word, karatu, C-H-A-R-I-T-O-O. And hang in there with me. We're going to move quickly through this. And I'm going to make some connections here. What we often do is separate them from us. You know, David was, Moses was, Jesus was, Mary was, and we are. Because we see our humanity, we see these things. But part of moving with the kingdom is seeing what God sees in us. And so I want to show you some things where we make a separation. Now, this word karatu comes from the Greek word charis, C-H-A-R-I-S, grace, charisma, gifts of grace, charismatic, those that function in the gifts. We are charismatics for the most part. Gifts of grace, operation of grace. Karatu is a work of grace. The favor of God is a work of His grace. And in this verse, it means to endue with special honor, to make acceptable, to be highly favored. And so Mary was approved by God, accepted by God, highly favored. And we recognize this on Mary, certainly. Of all the women on the earth, She was the one chosen by God to carry Christ, the game changer, the world changer, in her physical body. Now, I've never heard anybody else teach this. It's probably out there in some places. But through my study, here's what I found. That word karatu is only found two times in your entire Bible. Both in the New Testament, but only once when it's speaking of Mary. The other time is in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 6 where it says this. To the praise of the glory of His grace. See, glory means things get recognized. So when His glory gets moving, then we begin to see. And we're going to see some things in the not too distant future here. To the praise of the glory of His grace where He has made who? 
us accepted in the beloved. Accepted is the same word. That is the word karatu. Accepted in that verse means he has endued you, the believer, you the son, you the daughter, with special honor, made you acceptable, highly favored. So who's God talking about? He's talking about us. He's talking about you. He's talking about me. In the same way that Mary was accepted and favored and honored to carry the Christ, the anointed one in her body, you, you, you are accepted and favored and honored to carry Christ in your spirit man, Christ in us, the hope of glory. In Him we live and move and have our being. That's life changing if you get it. Man, if you live from that place, if you live from that place, it'll change you. My challenge is with too many of our songs is we spend too much time looking back. I spend very little time looking back. Yes, I was that, but I don't want to sing about it very much. Because that's not who I am. I was a sinner saved by grace. Now I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That's what scripture, you can't live from who you were. You've got to live for who you are and who you are becoming. Paul said, I labor with you till Christ be formed in you. Jesus said, be ye perfect, even as I am perfect. Not that we'll ever reach that kind of perfection. But we, what we strive for is a reflection of Him in our lives. And you're not going to do that by looking back. You do that by looking up. You do that by letting His kingdom come and His will be done in our lives. Your season can't change until your thinking changes, till your knowing changes, till your understanding changes. And you know why Jesus came and how valued you are and how valuable you are to Him. Jesus, by the way, means Savior. Yeshua, God saves or saved by God. Christ, on the other hand, means the one who is anointed from on high. The one who comes with the authority, the exousia, the undeniable authority and power to do something about it. Some of us never get out of the living room and the Savior and Jesus in our lives and we're always looking for a rescue. But what about the Christ, the anointed one who changes and delivers and does these kind of things? We live our whole lives wanting Jesus to rescue us from sin and failure and humanity. And this is one of my pet peeves right now, one of my soapboxes, is you can listen to Christian music all day long, and that's where most of it lives. It always refers to the past. It always refers to the past. Worship only exalts God for who He is. We are what we eat. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. If you still think you're some worm, barely making it day by day, that's what you reflect in this world, that by grace you made it one more day. Listen, grace is more than a shepherd's hook that rescues you out. Grace bends that hook into a spear and equips you to reign victorious over your future. That's what grace does. Grace is not just forgiveness. Grace is divine enablement. By grace you're saved. That wasn't because God forgave you. It's because He paid the debt. 
hit, ripped hell wide open, dealt with all the legal things that had to be done with, rescued you, Colossians 1.13, from the power of darkness, translated you, transplanted you, rooted you in the son of the kingdom of his love. That's what grace does. If you think grace, saved by grace means God forgive you, you don't have a clue. Saved by grace means God died for you, God died as you, God died with you, He lives in you. You don't get Jesus, you give Him you and you get you exchange yourself for Him. If our life is we got rescued and Jesus will bail me out, it's a miserable life. If our life is Christ in me, then we begin to see some things shift and move around us. I remember the matrix where Neo kind of does that and the walls move around him. And the walls kind of... Man, the walls around you ought to be moving if Christ is in you. So, praise God, He does all of that stuff. But that's just a bridge out of the past and into the future, a doorway into greater. Because Jesus has a second name. It is Christ, the one who was manifest to destroy the works of the evil one. When you get this revelation... It will bring a reformation, a reforming of your thinking. And that produces a revolution in our lives. Revelation brings reformation. Reformation will bring a revolution. Jesus asked Peter this question. Who do you say that I am? After three years, he says to these guys, who do you say that I am? Matthew 16, 16, Peter said this. They've called him rabbi, teacher, Adonai. First time out of their mouth, as far as I know, Peter said, you're the Christ. The anointed one from on high. Peter got it. Peter got it. How did he get it? The very next verse, verse 17, Jesus said, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, son of Jonah, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you. Revelation, these things come by revelation. Comes by God revealing himself. My Father who is in heaven, Revelation means to reveal, to uncover, to take the lid off of something, to take the cover off. Our revelation has to change. We have to move from a revelation of Jesus only to Jesus the Christ, the Son of the living God and what that means. By revelation, Peter understood that Jesus was now more than rescuer, savior, deliverer. He's also Christ, transformer, who comes with power to change us. And this is a huge key for our season because Jesus continues in verse 18. And he says, and I say to you, Peter, on this rock I'll build my church. This is the first time. This is where the church gets launched. Right here. And so we got all these keys. The church is built on a rock. It has the gates that hell will not prevail against it. Well, where's that church? Hadn't shown up yet. Because we don't have a revelation of who the Christ is yet. Hmm. What rock is Jesus talking about? I believe he's talking about this rock of revelation. That he's the Christ. That's the, that's the context here. You're the Christ, the Son of the living God. Father's revealed it to you. And Jesus said, on this rock, I believe this is what he's talking about personally. This rock of revelation of Jesus is the Christ, the appointed one, the anointed one. When we get that, then we have a church that the gates of hell can't stop. First John 3, 8, we started with, For this purpose was the Son of God manifest. Why did Jesus come? We're coming out of Christmas. Why did Jesus come? This. 
to destroy anything that works against you in your life. That's why Jesus came. John 10.10, he said it himself, it's written in red. The thief, the devil, the enemy comes to steal and kill and destroy. I have come. Why did Jesus come to earth? Flesh and blood. I have come that you might have life and have it to the full. If that's not where we are, then we don't have what he was born for and what he died for. It's what we need to live in pursuit of, the Christ life in us. This verse, I believe this verse is theology for your entire Bible. Life. Kill, steal, and destroy. Devil's job. Sickness. Devil. Disease. Devil. Tragedy. Devil. God is not the author of these things. Loss in any way is a work of the kingdom of darkness. And we've got to know who our enemy is. And God is not your enemy. It's not an act of nature. It's just what hell does. Jesus came to give you life abundantly, in, in abundance. And Jesus rescues and empowers. But you must activate the Christ life in you. We have to move from what I see so often at Christmas, Easter, we become penitent observers. Holy, repentant, and that's good. Of Jesus in a manger, Jesus on a cross. It's good to look back, to reflect, to take stock, to take inventory. But we have to then become passionate practitioners of Christ in us. Not just penitent observers. Where we stop and say, yeah, we blew it at Christmas or Easter. But we become passionate practitioners of Christ in us. The hope of glory. It's good to look back to take stock, to reflect. But I've noticed this in my Bible. I noticed an angel would come. Old Testament, New Testament. A manifestation would happen and somebody would fall on their face and then they would get them up. It's good to hit our faces, but God don't want you to live there. He wants you to get there. In your heart, you do kind of live there. But it's out of His holiness. See, that's something... I can't do you that with just the Word of God. I can't do you that in the living room. I can't do you that in the courtroom. I can only, you can only get that in the throne room. That we live on our faces, standing up and charging forward. You want to gain, you give up. You want to go high, you go low. can't chapter and verse all of these things. You've got to see it in context of the whole and then get there. For as the season to shift, our minds have to shift. Our theology has to shift. Our picture, picture of who Christ in us has to shift. A picture of who we are in Christ has to shift. Let me give you, I'll give you a homework. I'll give you an assignment. It'll be a relatively easy one. Because you don't have to read in Leviticus or Numbers, okay? You can start in Romans. Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, small books, most of them. I started reading through my Bible. I'm doing chronological this year. Two days in, I've covered a thousand years. I'm up to Noah. 30 minutes of reading. 15 yesterday, 15 today. I'm already up to Noah a thousand years into this thing. So it gets a little slower after that. 
But uh, this is easy. If you'll read through what? The epistles, mostly Pauline letters. And look for words like, in Him we live and move and have our being. In Christ this happens. In whom we have our, in Him, in whom, in Christ, 140 times in those books. Just do it. Romans, Corinthians, Galatians, those small books, some of them three chapters, some of them not one chapter. And look for words like, in Him we have this. In Christ we have that. In whom we have our this. In Him, in whom, in Christ, at least 140 times in those books. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. You'll begin to get an understanding of not only who Christ is in you, but who you are in Him. 2 Peter 1, 3. According to as His divine power has given, us, has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Are we lacking anything? Yes. Where does it come from? It comes from Him. The Christ life, divine power, has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge, mind has to change, intimate knowledge, intimacy has to change of Him that's called us to glory and virtue. So let me make another connect here. Matthew chapter 3 and verse 17. What did the Father say when Jesus was baptized in the Jordan River? Matthew three seventeen. And lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Now remember we said Karatu favored by God meant that he was well pleased. This is not the same word, but there's a connect here. Because it comes back to that word accepted, highly favored that we looked at a little bit ago. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 6, just to remind you, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he has made us accepted, throw that next verse up there, wherein he has made us accepted in the Beloved. All right, there's that word accepted, acceptable, highly favored. God said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. So where are we going with this? Next verse, Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 28. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us have grace. So we see grace, you can define grace as the operational power of God released in my life to change things. Grace, G-R-A-C-E, God's radical ability to change everything. Grace, God's radical ability to change everything, G-R-A-C-E. So by ongoing release of grace, which is an endowment, a release of the, the power of God in our lives, whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. Acceptably in that verse, means well-pleasing. The same thing God spoke over Jesus in Matthew when He said, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well-pleased. He says, by grace we can serve God and be well-pleasing to Him with reverence, holiness, and godly fear. What I'm wanting you to see this morning in this and we've covered a lot of ground in a short period of time here. And we are working towards the end of this actually already. These are not very many notes. 
what I'm wanting you to see this morning is that what he does, he does not just do for you. He also does it in you. So that he can do it with you. Because he's not here and you are. Holy Spirit needs a vessel to work through. Jesus said, it's good that I go. Because now it's not just me, but it's Holy Spirit in all of you. He can do it with you. So that then he can do it out through you to others. The season has changed. The Christ of Christmas is going to manifest. And make himself known powerfully in days to come. How soon? I don't know. But there's an imminence. But imminence can mean a hundred years in heaven. I don't think it's going to be a hundred years. But he's coming. The cloud is moving. The season has already changed. But we've got to have eyes to see. Ears to hear. Hearts to know and understand. And he's inviting us in. I think the greatest thing of this last, man, we've been at this more than a year and a half now since we first started locking down guys around the world. One of the greatest things that's happened is this invitation to sit with him. I said to our brother this morning, what happened with our teams around the world is we got out of ministry and we learned to minister. We run Bible schools. We run orphanages. We do all kinds of stuff all over the world and we had to stop and take food to our neighbors. We ministered to as many people last year as we did the year before, but we did it mostly by taking food to our neighbors and in the neighborhoods. And then the government officials came and got us. I mean, locked down. We had guys who couldn't leave their houses except once every two weeks. One member of the house with a pass to go get groceries, food, school supplies, medicine, whatever they needed, and then they're locked down. We had kids that could not leave their house for six months. Not, not go in your backyard. Not leave your house for six months. We were really locked down. But what happened was when the government officials saw us taking food to our neighbors and then our neighborhoods, they came and got us and gave us passes to go where they could not go. We ended up in villages where nobody was going. We ended up in neighborhoods where nobody was going. We ended up in formerly communist rebel territory that nobody was touching But the gospel got there because we were serving the people. So we kind of stopped the ministry and we started ministering. And that's a lot of what this last year is about. It's to get our attention. It's about saying, hey, you're on this course, but God's on this course. And you might want to stop and kind of renegotiate your navigating here. God's inviting us in. If you can't hear from God right now, you're not listening. I did a 40-day fast 20 years ago. At the end of the fast, I got out my notebook. I said, God, I want you to speak to me. I'm expecting some great revelation. He says, Craig, I'm talking all the time. You're just not listening. That's all he needed to say to me. The problem is not on his end if you're not hearing from God. In this hour especially. You do that personally, you do it through His Word, you do it to talking to others that are connected, you listen to who you're listening to. You don't have to preach anything for the world to go to hell. We can all sit here and shut up and the world will go to hell. It takes no faith for that. The world's going to change, it's going to take some faith for that, and you're going to have to listen to some people who've got some faith for that, okay? You've got to get connected up to the people that are rightly connected. All right.
So let's wrap this up. The season has changed, but seasons are about timing. This is one of the greatest challenges for us. It is mostly us recognizing God's timing. You have to order your life, your time, your season to sync up with His. His schedule is not our schedule. And if you're trying to make room for Him in your schedule, you might be missing it. You must make room. Remember, we just came out of Christmas. What is one of the main takeaways from the Christmas story? No room in the inn. It's the same challenge Jesus has with our lives today. We just don't have room. We allow Him a little room here Sunday, hour and a half. But we've got to make room. You've got to build an altar. You've got to build an altar. So whatever that takes, I take my grandsons to school 7.30 in the morning. So if I want an altar, I've got to get up early enough that I can do what I need to do and have some altar time in the morning. If you're expecting a child, you make a room, don't you? You don't think, well, when they come, we'll throw them on the couch here. You know, we can squeeze in a little something. No! If we're expecting a child, we make a room. We might have to clear out a room and make it. Are we expecting Christ to come? Then we're going to have to make a room. It's one of the main takeaways from the Christmas story. If we're expecting a Christ child, Christ in us, the hope of glory, we're going to have to make Him some room in here. Build Him a room if we need to. Alright, so number one, seasons are about timing. Timing is huge right now because it brings us to trust. Identity and trust are the two greatest battles you'll fight your whole life. Until you know who you are in God, you're very little good to this earth. And so the devil won't go after your ministry. He won't go after your marriage. He'll go after your identity. If you knew who you were, you wouldn't be putting up with the stuff you're putting up with. The second battle you... What's the first, first thing the devil said to Jesus? If you are the Son of God. If you're a Christian, then why do you think that thought? If you're a believer, then why do you get angry? If you're a true Christian, then why this? Identity. Identity, identity. You've got to stop looking back. You've got to look up. You've got to know who God says you are. Look at these verses that we did today. Second, trust, second test is trust. Adam and Eve, meet your own need. Work your own destiny. Find your own spouse. Put it in your 401k. Trust yourself for your future. That's not all wrong. The Bible says a wise man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. So saving money is not wrong. But trusting money is a trust issue. Holding money is a trust issue. When we should be sowing into the nations. Trust issue. Christians own most of the wealth in the world and you wouldn't know it. We've got ten times what Islam has. And Islam is changing the planet right now. Because we hold our money and they spend all their money making disciples. So, don't want to rain on your parade, but when God can move it through us, He will give it to us. Alright? So trust. The devil said to Jesus, first one, if you are the second one, second, 
Turn these stones to bread. Meet your own needs. Exalt yourself. Move into a position. Trust issues. So those are timing things. Timing is going to work on your identity and it's going to work on your trust. I've been saying things for two years. Lots of people think I'm crazy. They won't when it happens. But you've got to hear from God to know that stuff. The second challenge is that seasons are about process. There's a process, metamorphosis, state of change. We're kind of wrapped in a cocoon right now. When you're expecting, you're no longer virgin, you're no longer that alone, without, but you're not with either. You're kind of in that in-between stage. When you're engaged, you're not this, but you're not that either. And so there's a process here of going from one stage to another. Transition. I'm going through hell, but I think God's in it. Transition. And so in transition, in this process stage, it's going to work two ways. And you're going to have to hear from God how this is going to work with you. It is both push and pull. It is both give and take. And so here, two points on this, and then we're going to wrap this up. There are things He will not give you until you empty your hands. Loosen your grip and let go. We had to give and sell everything. I can still go to relatives' house. They've got our chest of drawers. They've got our bedroom set. They've got our dining room stuff. It's still there 30 years later. We had good stuff. Southern Indiana hardwood stuff. But we had to let it all go. Step out. He won't fill hands and hearts that are full already. So for some of us, you're going to have to lay it down, let it go, let it die. Whatever it takes may be required before He will give you what He desires for you to have. And so there may be some things that He's putting His finger on and saying, you can't go there with this. You can't trust me for that if you're still trusting you for this. And so there is this where it's got to go first. At the same time, point number two, there may be things God calls you to go after and pursue while other things are still an issue in your life. Those disciples weren't perfect when he called them, or when he set them into ministry. Nobody in your Bible was except Jesus. David an adulterer, Moses a murderer, Abraham a perpetual liar. But still God called them towards something. And even in your failure, and even in your humanity, and even in your fear, and even in your challenge, and even in your doubt that we sang about this morning, He may call you to get out of the boat. And start walking on water. Even in the midst of your junk. So it works both ways. He may say, you've got to let that, lay that down. You've got to give up to go up. You've got to give up to grow up. He may well, and He does that at certain places. He calls you to altars and you've got to put your own Isaac on the altar. All promises come with proving. All promises come with proving. At the same time, 
He may call you to start walking in the midst of your fear and doubt. Rarely does fear go away and then we get faith. It's pretty much always the opposite. You start trusting God and you start taking steps and then the fear begins to die because what you feed grows. You feed your fear, it's just going to keep getting bigger and bigger. You start feeding You feed your failure, it's going to just keep getting bigger and bigger. God's not after your sin, He's after your righteousness. Just get that in your mind. He's not chasing your sin, He's chasing your righteousness. Because if we're walking in righteousness, He has so much more He can give us. So as you begin to grow in obedience and faith, then fear or whatever gets weaker and weaker and weaker because we stop feeding it. Sometimes it's two steps forward and one step back. Some deliverance is instant. I know people. They come to the altar. That was done. Never messed with it again. Others, it takes a while. It's like going to the gym and pumping iron. You've got to build muscles. By practice, we overcome. The greater one on the inside has to get stronger. You have to get stronger in him. And then the old stuff dies. So we have to work the process. Kingdom is coming. It's here already. We've got to work the process. Remember from conception to birth is nine months. So the promise Mary had was not one and done. It was now we begin and eventually we'll deliver and then we got to raise. And so there's a little bit to this. All promises come with proving and all promises come with pruning. All promises come with proving and all promises come with pruning. God's desire is that the fullness of who God is be manifest out through our lives in this coming season. He is so ready. He is so ready. Final verse. Final verse. Luke 2, 10. But the angel said to them, the shepherds. Angels came to shepherds. Lowliest on the economic strata. No voice. No income, stinky, smelly. And this is who good news came to. So, we're worthy of some good news. The angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. So this is what's coming. And I want you to say this with me. No fear. Good news. Great joy. All people. No fear. Good news. Great joy. All people. That is what is coming. The season has changed. The question is, will we make room? Are we expecting? Will we change as the season changes?